Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy this morning. We've been in this book for several weeks now. It's part of our series uh, trying to uh, build an understanding of what it is to be a healthy church. Um, and, uh, and so uh, what we're doing is at the outset of the summer here is trying to uh, think through what that means for us practically. Uh, the book of 1 Timothy was written to Timothy by the Apostle Paul. It was written to him uh, in order to instruct him related to uh, uh, Paul's or to Timothy's ministry in the church in Ephesus. Um, and, uh, and so Paul writes this letter as, uh, as Timothy is his disciple, as he's his mentee, and he wants him to understand some from very specific things related to what the church uh, needs to know. Um, and so some of the things that we've explored up until this point... Um, we, well, and, and even as we get into this morning's text, we're going to be in verses 17 through 24 of chapter 5 in 1 Timothy. Um, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we do have some on the back table there. Feel free to grab, grab one if you need one. Um, but, but last week, or, or actually a few weeks ago, when we were in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, we were talking about the qualifications for the servant leaders of the church and what that looks like. Um, and, and so we, we talked about just this laundry list of things. And what we said, what we came out of that, what we concluded out of that was that um, those qualifications were a result of deep gospel impact. The things that were going on in the life of the, the leader in the local church is a result of deep gospel impact. That is, that they have understood, processed, digested uh, what it means to be uh, in Christ. What it means to know God. And to, uh, to uh, then work that out in their daily lives. And so the leaders in the local church then become the pace setters or the catalyzers for the mission of what the church is, which is to make disciples um, of all nations. So we were talking about those qualifications and, and remember that the church is a body of people who share a common identity and who are working out gospel impact with their faith family and the community at large. So leaders are, are the pace setters for that, they're the catalyzers of that, they're the examples of that, they're the models of that. Um, and um, even as we saw last week, this is kind of the outworking of that, honoring each other as family, right? We talked about at the beginning of chapter 5, when Paul writes to Timothy, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to younger men as brothers, to the older women as mothers, and to the younger women as sisters in all purity. So what Paul is communicating to Timothy is, hey, wait a second, if your common identity, if your identity is found in Jesus, or our, all of our identity where Christ is found in Jesus, then, then you should look like, your, this, this context, the local church, should look like a family. And we should process that way. That's a result, again, as of deep gospel impact. So last week we talked about honoring each other's family, and then in verses 3 through 16, caring for those who are abandoned by society. The stand-in here for Paul in Ephesus in, in first century was widows. They were, the, they were the, the subset of society that was abandoned and needed protection. And so Paul tells, Paul communicates very clearly to Timothy, this is what it looks like to care for widows in your context. And then, and then even going farther back in 1 Timothy, this is just by way of recap so that we know, we have an understanding of where we're going this morning, um, that the church needs to be vigilant. There was some of this in chapter 1 and chapter 2. The church needs to be vigilant to protect herself um, from the onslaught of false doctrines that are, and false gospels that are 
coming her way, and that could cripple her and then ultimately diminish her ability to fulfill the mission that God has laid out before her. Um, this is very, very important. This God-given, gospel-driven mission is at the heart of what we do as a people, is at the heart of what we do as a church. And we seek to carry out the commands of Christ to love God, to love Him, to make <coughs> disciples. Um, and Paul is saying that those things come out of being impacted by gospel truth. And so one way the church can do that is by by weighing carefully who is appointed to leadership in the context of the local church, and then protecting those who are set aside to, to lead. And so this is a flow out of, remember, when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, this is all one letter, so we have chapter and verse, but, but Timothy would have sat down and read this letter all at once and digested it all as a whole. So we can see natural flow. So he's talking about widows and those who are abandoned in society, and then he moves directly into this servant leadership portion, giving, uh, giving Timothy some additional instruction related to leadership. So let's read this text. Let's read it together. Um, I've said a lot of words, so let's let the text speak now. So chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus and his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evidence going before them to judgment for others. Their sins follow after. Likewise, also, deeds that are good and are quite evident, and those who are otherwise cannot be concealed. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this text. God, we thank you for your word. Even as we read this this morning, there's some difficult things contained within it. Well, God, I pray by the power of your spirit, God, that you would illumine these things to us this morning, that we would see um, the intent behind what's going on here, and God, that we would ultimately grow together as a faith family. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this morning. Amen. Okay, so I want to give you the big idea coming out of this text this morning. The big idea, we do this every week, we talk about like the big idea, just kind of a summary statement related to uh, what we see going on in the text. So this is the big idea. This is what Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy here um, with some nuances in, in here as well. The leaders of the local church should, as a result of gospel impact, we just talked about that gospel impact, be regarded highly by the faith family and carefully evaluated before appointment. Paul was really concerned with keeping the faith family intact and really concerned with, with what it looked like and how it was shaped and the way that, that things were playing themselves out because he knew that there was, there was no way that, that the family could, could uh, subscribe to sinful activity even as we get to the end of this passage. There's no way that the leadership could subscribe to sinful activity and be engaging regularly in sin, sinful activity and be experiencing uh, the, uh, the outworking of uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
So this morning, just out of that idea, out of that big idea, we want to talk about just a couple of things that Paul speaks to in this text. First, that the leaders of the church should be highly regarded, and that the leaders of the church should be above reproach. And, and so, like, for me as a cynic, I, I come to this text and I think to myself, okay, so I'm the guy up here who's preaching to you, and I'm saying leaders of the church should be highly regarded. So it's, it, it almost feels so free. But, but trust me, Paul, Paul understood more than anyone. Paul understood more than anyone the impact of what it meant to, to lead the church and, and just how difficult at times it was. And that first and foremost, the reason we've, I've titled this sermon uh, Servant Leadership, highly regarded above reproach, is because uh, servanthood is the primary qualifier for leadership in any, in any, given, uh, in any given church role. Okay, so let's take these in turn then. Highly regarded. Um, and so, I guess that was sort of a caveat, but I guess I want to say this too. Like, I, the way that we structure ourselves here at Buffalo City Church is the way that we believe that the Bible has laid this out for us. We have five elders here at Buffalo City Church. Which, which one? I'm one, Mark is one, um, Blaze Collinson, who's not here this morning, Larry Moser is one, and then Ralph Friebel is one as well. And we exist together as a body to lead this church together. Um, we don't necessarily, we, we all see ourselves as elders, as leaders of the church. Our, our primary goal is shepherding and guiding the church and leading this church forward in order that we might fulfill the mission that God has called us to. So I'm going to speak from that standpoint this morning. I'm going to speak as one of five. And then I'm also going to speak maybe, maybe a little bit directly from like my own personal story. But then finally, what I want to do is treat this text from top to bottom adequately. Um, and so, so I guess this morning, I, like I said, I called that a caveat, but I think we just have to have a little bit of real talk this morning. We think of, we talked about this in chapter 3 a little bit, when we talked about how the church has, has traditionally structured itself in sort of our Western, uh, Western understanding and ideal of what, of what church is. When we think of pastors and elders typically incorrectly, remember that, that Scripture uses the word pastor and elder interchangeably. Those two are, are used interchangeably. But we think about those things a little strangely in the institutional church. We talked about, we, when we looked at chapter 3, we talked about the CEO board model, which has kind of been highly adopted within the context of the, of, of the, of the American church. And, and this, is, this is where we, we uh, explore the qualifications, but then we put one guy up here, and then we have a board of people who sit underneath him to hold him accountable. It's like checks and balances, like the president of Congress or something like that. That is by no means what, what Scripture is laying out for us for church leadership. Um, what, it, what Scripture always talks about, elders, it talks about elders in the plural and leading the church in a way that is on the ground serving uh, and, and as those who are ready and willing to do all that, that God has instructed and to set the pace, to lead by example, to model those things for the church. Um, and I think that we have this idea of church, um, and sometimes we just think of it as like this guy, like a pastor or an elder, just a guy who shows up to do ministry, and that we just get to sit here, and we get to listen, or we get to, we get to process what's going on in, in our community, and then we just... We sit here. It was like that example that I gave at the end of last week, um, where there's a quarterback, and you all get to the huddle, and you uh, and you uh, the play is called, and then we all run and sit down on the bench. We don't we don't execute the play. Um, but but for us, and what we see happening here in Scripture, 
um, is that uh, the, the, the call of the elder, the call of the pastor is not to do ministry for a group of spectators, but to live among the people in, uh, in a community in order to lead us and guide us to do ministry together. And again, like I said, to fulfill the mission of the church. So, so the question this morning is, what if we thought about church leadership like Paul does in this text? What if we thought about church leaders like, uh, like Paul portrays them as, as just people, as real people living within the context of a community, seeking to do what God has called uh, all believers to do? Um, pastors, elders, we don't get everything right. Um, we're not asking anyone, like Paul says, Paul is not expecting Timothy to ball, bow to his preferences and his prescriptions. But what he's saying is like, hey, you look, something looks like this um, because of gospel impact. And we should live, be living that out as, and any believer should be living that out in a very specific way. Um, leaders within the church are, are in need of the same grace the same grace as every man. We don't have some, so we are, we are in and of ourselves sinful apart from Christ, and we need Christ just as much, if not more, than everyone else. Um, and then leaders within the church are called by God to, like I said at the outset, to catalyze the mission uh, that he has set up for the church, mainly to make disciples. And notice that I didn't say the only agents within the mission, but those who exist to catalyze the mission, those who exist to uh, set the pace for the mission. And so this plays into like the first several months that we spent together, right? We, were, we said we were deconstructing what church looks like. We're deconstructing, we're tearing down some of these things, some of these uh, outside, external uh, traditions that we have erected in order that we might come to a place where we can go to a text where we can look at the scripture and see what it prescribes for us in church and do that together. That's what we want to do this morning. So this plays into our deconstruction of church. And for those who are in Christ, we are all called to be disciples who make disciples. We are all called to that in scripture. We're all called to love God and our neighbor. These are, these are unwavering truths and commands given in scripture. We're all called to be living out gospel impact in our daily lives. And those things, those things are not reserved for church leadership only. Although elders, as we discussed when we looked at chapter 3, right, um, are called to be the pace setters and catalyzers of that, this is not reserved for church leadership only. So you might be here this morning, you might be thinking, well, what, what on earth is he talking about? Um, I don't know what it looks like to make disciples. The, the leaders of the local church, the pastors, the elders, we exist to help you flesh that out and to be able to do that practically in your daily lives. That's one of the reasons that we exist. Or, or you might say to yourself, well, I don't know what it, the author of Hebrews writes to me, well, or writes to us like, we, uh, we shouldn't forsake the meeting together. We should continually be gathering together as a people. But I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that looks like. The pastors and the elders of the local church exist to prompt you to be a people who are consistently engaging together as a body of Christ. Or maybe you're just saying simply something like, I don't know how to connect the gospel to any given situation in my life. I don't know. We've talked a lot about the gospel and how it impacts us everywhere. There is no area of your life where the gospel isn't important and, and speaking into, uh, into any situation. 
I don't know how to connect the gospel to every situation and circumstance that comes up in life. I don't know how to interpret my suffering through the lens of the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And pastors and elders, we exist to press into the truth of the gospel daily in order that you might see those, or you might make those connections, you might live that way. And so, I think this is, this is, this is sort of the takeaway from all this, and sort of this is all leading up to our discussion of the text. But I think I would sum it up like this. Pastors and elders are men who are called by God to live among men and to set an example of what God calls all men. I'm using men as a stand-in for mankind there because that's the, that's the way that the text portrays it. Pastors and elders are men who are called by God to live among men to set an example of what God calls all men to do. And so when we were in chapter 4 just a couple weeks ago, we looked at verse 12. Paul writes to Timothy to, uh, to, to be an example. He writes to him to be an example. Show yourself an example. That's why we want to model and set the pace for the body. So let's look together at just the first like few verses here in in in, uh, in our text this morning. Verses like 17 to 21. Just look at those with me. And Paul here is Paul here is writing. He said, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard for preaching and teaching. Do not muzzle the ox while uh, while he is threshing. It's like what is Paul talking about here? Again, the, the idea is that the elders are to be highly regarded in the faith family. The church should support their leadership. Remember, last week when we were talking about honoring widows, that word honor is a financial term. It's a financial word. Um, and so what he's saying is support them financially. Make sure that they're provided for. Make sure that there are things that, that the way that, 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 that God is calling them, that they're able to be provided for um, in an ample way. When he says double honor, it carries the idea of being uh, of being provided for amply. Basically, don't put your elders or your pastors in a position where they have to be scraping by. Like, that's what he's saying to us. And what he's saying is like, um, when he says muzzling the ox, this is a strange a strange metaphor for us, maybe. You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Okay, what, what's it to? Well, the ox would be eating, right? He'd be eating while he was threshing, would be stopping on, on the grain. And uh, if, if he was eating and the, the, the owner of the ox was like, I don't want you to be eating that, he'd muzzle him. But what Paul is saying is like, when, you, when, when the ox is, is, is taking part in the activity that he's called to do, right? Um, when, you're, when, you're, uh, when, when he's doing what he is designed to do, um, are you going to keep the ox from eating while it does its job? And then he sums it up by just simply saying, the labor is worthy of his wages. And then Paul kind of turns his, uh, his attention in verse 9. Do not receive an accusation at an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Um, receiving accusations against church leadership. Okay, so, so this is part of this too. Okay, so when we as people um, recognize that, uh, that the leaders in the local church are those who are being impacted deeply by gospel truth, um, then, then we should not be quick to bow to uh, words or accusations that come against them. Not two or three people, what, what Paul doesn't say here is, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three people who say something. What he's saying is two or three witnesses, two or three people who have witnessed the activity uh, that could be potentially harmful to the body. Um, these people need to be those who can corroborate the accusation by personal witness. The accused is engaged in 
or in the behavior of the activity. If the accusation is true, then it makes everyone, then make sure, which we move to verse 20, make sure everyone sees what is, is being done. Um, and what he says, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning, what he's saying is like, not that we're living in fear when it comes to sin, what he's saying is like, hey, this is a big deal. Like, this is a big deal. We're, the, the people who are leading the church are not even, are not even exempt from, from this sin that, that so easily entangles us. Like, this is a potential for anyone. Um, we should never be surprised by sin because we are sinful. We inhabit a sinful body, um, and we long for a day when that is removed from us. I mean, this is what it means to be highly regarded then for Paul. That the church provides ample financial support for the elders, and the church makes sure that it understands the situation fully before accusing an elder of sinful behavior. And that the elder would serve the body even uh, it, the elder would serve the body even if he is being rebuked in a, in a corporate setting. If the elder is sinning um, and, and that portrait is painted, that's actually a service to the body. It's a warning against the sin um, of of uh, that, that entangles so easily. Um, so this chunk of text, right, this is really practical stuff, but again, I want to reemphasize the fact that this is being born out of gospel impact, right? This is being born out of, of gospel impact. Paul isn't saying these things just because he wants to give uh, Timothy a laundry list just to run through and say, okay, we're going to check all of these off. What he's saying is, is, if you have understood the good news of the gospel, if you believe that you are being, if you're in the context where there are people who are leading and they're serving you and they're, um, they're living life together with you, if you believe that that's the case, then these things will be true about you. So then, then change, switch, switch down now. Look, let's look at uh, the, the last few verses here. This, text. this is the idea of being above reproach, right? Paul gives Timothy this charge in verse 21, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. And then he says this in verse 22, Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. And so what Paul is saying is like, when he's saying laying hands on, what he's saying is appointing church leadership. He's like, don't be hasty in doing that. Don't be hasty in appointing church leadership because the gospel, while it's bearing fruit in the life of the believer, while, it, while, it's, while it's changing and transforming us into the likeness and the image of Christ, what he's saying is we need to, we need to uh, be, be vigilant to flesh that out together and to see that happening regularly. This is a big deal. He's telling Timothy that he needs to adequately vet any spiritual leadership of the church. It's a big deal. Paul says if a sinful person is appointed to lead and, the others, and, the, and leads others into sin, then the ones who appointed that leader will be held responsible at some level. We need to protect ourselves as a body um, from the threat of sin. That's what Paul is communicating here to, uh, to Timothy. And I, so, I hope then that, 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 that like practically that we see then the importance of relationship, right? We see the importance of engaging one another regularly with the truth of the gospel, engaging one another so that we can um, walk together as those who are willing to point out sin to each other, to engage one another, to hold one another accountable. Um, and so 
when we go back to that idea, like maybe some of the, the ways that a church has constructed itself in the Western world is the CEO board model. Um, what, what happens, right, is that you very rarely have access to that individual. But if we're, if we're unwilling or unable to have access to the leadership of the local church, then how can we be sure that, that the, the individual is, is above reproach, is actingly, that is acting according to this charge that Paul gives to Timothy, um, um, to maintain these principles without bias. This is really, really important for us. And how can you be sure that they're not leading others into sin? And I understand like some contexts are really large, and that's okay. Um, but we need to be able to, as people, be able to understand and, and have relationship with the leaders of the local church. Again, leadership in the local church exists to serve the body. That is the primary function of the leadership of the local church. Yeah, so, so if, if at any point, like you hear something, observe something that concerns you, we invite conversation. Like we want to be, we want to know you all, we want to have a relationship with you all. To a certain extent, that's not, that's not possible, right? Because we, we're just men and we have, there's only 24 hours of the day. Um, but we want to be able, we want to be available to those who need to, to have conversations about what they see going on in the local church, to ask questions, to freely be able to engage um, with the leadership of the local church. The elders, and, and here's a couple of things that we just need to, to understand even coming out of this text. The elders and the pastors, the church leadership, they're men appointed by God, not men. Um, they're appointed by God first. That's, that's a calling given to them by, by God and not by men. And that calling is simply this, to lead, to shepherd, to guide, and to serve the local church. So the elders and leaders of the local church are called to be above reproach and appoint those who are also free from sin and above reproach as well. Um, so, so I just want to give you a couple thoughts in conclusion. Okay, so we just talked about a lot. I just I got into the nitty gritty of this text a little bit, and you might be thinking, "Well, that's that's great. That's fine. Whatever. Let's move on." But but here's the here's a, we have to ask ourselves this question, especially in a text like this that seems to be pretty pretty straightforward, but not it's just kind of random, not really that uh, not really that applicable to us in our daily lives. We have to ask our question: So what? Like so what? Like that's a, that's a good question to ask of this text. So what? All of this exists to benefit the church, right? Everything that Paul writes in, in, in 1 Timothy 5, 17-25 exists to benefit the church by pointing to this. By pointing to this. Jesus is the perfect servant and the head of his church. Jesus is the perfect servant and the head of the church. Notice what I didn't say? I didn't say that Jesus is the example of a perfect servant. Jesus is the perfect servant and the head of the church. And so as we look at a text like this, and as we go back to 1 Timothy 3, and as we're looking at these texts, and we see all these qualifications, and we've talked about being as a result of gospel impact, and even if we go to a book like Titus and look at the first chapter there, we see more qualifications for church leadership there. Um, what, it, what that's all about, what that is all about, is that, uh, that these individuals, these men who are leading a congregation, should seek to be the catalyzers and the pace setters for the mission and for service, but Jesus is the one who embodies this perfectly. Right? If you are in Christ, you are being transformed into His image. 
Church leadership are those who exist to help you get there, to serve you in order that you might get to that place where you are, uh, where you believe that you are on a track to becoming more Christ-like. That's one of the, that, that, is, that is sort of like an underlying definition that, is, that lies behind the definition of what it means to make disciples, right? That we would be a people who live together in a context so that we might know that we are being transformed into Christ's image. And we, each of us in this room, are individuals, if we are in Christ, who, are, who exist to help our brothers and sisters move that direction, right? It is our primary goal as Christians within the local church to be pushing people on our left and our right that we have relationship with to be more like Jesus. God uses us as his agents to be to, to transform us transfer us into his transform us into the image of Jesus. And so Jesus embodies this as a servant. Uh, think with me, I'm just going to read this to you. Think with me uh, back to Philippians. We, we, we studied the book of Philippians in the fall, and that was a long time ago. So I'm going to read this to you. This is from Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also is in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, for the glory of God the Father. When Paul wrote that to the church in Philippi, right, he wrote that to every believer within the context of the local church. He didn't write that just to the church leadership. He wrote it to everyone. He's saying, look at this example. Look at who Jesus is. He didn't regard equality a thing to be grasped. We know that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond service and being made in the likeness of men. And so we're called, everyone in the local church, everyone in the local church is called to emulate Christ as servants. The pastors and the elders of the local church are called to be the first of these, uh, again, the catalyzers, the examples, the models of that happening. Does that mean that pastors and elders get everything right? Absolutely not. If you hold us to the standard, we're going to let you down big time. We're going to let you down big time. But we want to demonstrate in our own lives that we are seeking hard after God, that we are desiring to, to allow the gospel to impact us in such a deep and profound way that we would live our lives and set an example and model for you what it means uh, to, be, to be transformed in the image of Jesus Christ through the power of His Spirit. Okay. So I'm going, to, I'm going to attempt something really kind of crazy. We talked about this, this text this morning. This, this seems like a strange text to lead us into the Lord's Supper. I'm going to try and tie this in. So, so just, just, just go with me. <laughs> um, so as we come to the table, right, as we partake in the Lord's Supper this morning, we, have, we seek to allow God's Word to, to deeply implant itself in our hearts, right? So even as we look at a text like this, we see what it points us to, Right? That Jesus is the perfect servant and the head of the church. That's just gospel truth, right? That Jesus is the perfect servant. That he came to earth to die on our behalf so that we might spend uh, eternity with God the Father in heaven. 
And so as we approach the table, I just want you to consider a few things this morning. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the one, he is the one that sets her apart, right? And purifies her through his shed blood. And that's what we come here to remember this morning. We come here to remember uh, that, that Jesus is purifying, setting us apart. He has set us apart and he is setting us apart as the body of Christ through his shed blood. So think with me, just think, think about the events surrounding the crucifixion. Think about the events surrounding the crucifixion. And think about all of the things that happened to Jesus leading up to that particular event. And think about where Jesus didn't stop. Jesus didn't stop when he was accused falsely, when he was put on trial and he was accused falsely. Jesus didn't stop when people spit on him. Jesus didn't stop when he was beaten beyond all recognition, when he was bloodied and beaten beyond all recognition. Jesus didn't stop when a cross was strapped onto his bloody back. Jesus, Jesus didn't stop when he was lifted up upon that cross, naked and humiliated. Jesus didn't stop when all the weight of every sin of all time was placed on his shoulders. Jesus didn't stop when God looked away because he became sin in our place. Jesus didn't stop when the last breath went out of his lungs. And there was nothing that would or could stop Jesus from setting apart those that the Father had given him. He is purifying his church. He has purified his church through his shed blood. That's what's impacting us daily. And so we celebrate, right? This is about celebration. We come to this table and we celebrate by remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made in obedience to God the Father. Uh, so that we can move, right, from Ephesians 2, we can move from death to life. So that, as Paul writes to the church in Colossae, that well, we can move from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved Son. That's what this is about. We are celebrating that transfer this morning. We are celebrating the transfer from death to life, from out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. No longer are we enslaved to sin. No longer do we need to uh, prove ourselves or generate our own righteousness, but we trust Jesus fully for those things. So we're going to move our, take our attention now to the Lord's table exclusively. If you're with us this morning and you're not really sure what I'm talking about, that's okay. Like that's, that's totally fine. Um, we would just urge you, um, if you're not sure where you stand, if you're not if you're sure if you're in Christ or not, I would love to have a conversation with you about that. Um, but, but we would just urge you at this moment, if there's any confusion in your heart, to simply take some time in the quiet of your heart and just ask God to reveal himself to you. Just ask that God would show you uh, who he is and that you would understand further uh, Christ's sacrifice. Um, but I would also say, just, just don't participate. Like, no one's here. No one's, like, judging you. Um, we're, we're all here. We're at the faith family. This is something we do together as a church in order uh, to, to recognize and to remember what God has done for us in Jesus. Um, scripture is very clear. If we take this in an unworthy manner, if we participate in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, we're eating and drinking judgment upon ourselves. We do not want to do that. We do not want to be a people. So, so, so there's, there's no judgment. There's nothing going on here. Um, just simply in the quiet of your heart, pray and ask God to reveal himself to you.
I would also admonish parents, if you've got kids in here, just exercise discernment over them. If they've, if they've, if they've, uh, if they've professed Christ and have displayed the fruits of, of gospel impact in their lives, uh, invite them to, to, to participate with you. If you're not sure, if you're waiting to, for them to make that confession, a profession of faith, um, exercise discernment here. We're doing something really important here, right? We're remembering what God has done for us in Jesus. This is important, a deeply spiritual act. It's one that is impacted by our daily understanding of gospel truth. If you're visiting with us too, and you're part of you're part of a local church in some other context, it's totally fine. You can you can participate with us if you know Jesus Christ. So um, I'll invite the worship team to come up and, and uh, just in the, the quiet of your heart as you prepare yourself, um, just think through um, what we talked about this morning. Think through how Jesus uh, laid Himself down. Um, how he didn't stop when, when all of these things took place in his world because he had a mission that was to purify, to set apart his church for himself. So just take some time and you're ready. Come pick up the elements. You can, you can participate at the table or you can take them back to your seat and partake, partake there. Um, just when you're ready, prepared in your own heart. Let's pray.